Duel of the Fates, Colin Trevorrow's alleged episode 9 script, has remained a key discussion point for sequel trilogy fans since early 2020. In this episode, we break down the good, the bad, and what could have been. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we're going to talk about Duel of the Fates. <laughs> you know what's funny about this, Caitlin? You know what today is. You know what today yeah, is. I know what we're recording. Is. <laughs> it is the two year anniversary of the Rise of Skywalker. And, like, we didn't plan this, I don't think, no. to talk about Duel of the Fates when. We're, we're rounding out the Star Wars anniversary of uh, the Rise of Skywalker, but it definitely worked out that way, which is interesting to be honest. And you know, I think we're gonna we're gonna go through the history, our thoughts, our reactions, and everything like that. And I think they might surprise you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and I find this all so interesting. I love pieces of like fandom history like this that are sh- sort of shrouded in mystery. And the the question that remains will always be, is this legit? Is this not legit? Uh, what do we know about this? What do we not know about this? And I think Caitlin and I both are on the side of this is legit. <laughs> so, um, But even if it's not, it's still interesting to talk about it personally, just because of the timing and everything and the fact that even Colin Trevorrow, Trevorrow he semi-confirmed some of it. So it's all, all around very interesting, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it today. It's been a long time since we've talked about the sequel trilogy as well, and I always enjoy talking about the sequel trilogy. I know Caitlin does too, and uh, so it's it'll be fun to dive into it. Yeah, and what better day than... <laughs> anniversary of trust than to talk about its alternative the the Gee. what if of it the, all yeah the what, the if. what if you know i remember when this came out and just thinking holy crap what like <laughs> it just seemed absurd that we had this uh script and it's still kind of absurd that we have it and yeah like charlotte said i we both kind of uh, are on the side that it's legit and we'll be treating it as if it's uh, le- the legit script for Colin Trevorrow's uh, episode nine. So, yeah, I'm. there are some interesting tidbits. And it had been a while since I read it, honestly. Like, I, I remember the skeleton of it from when it first came out and we read it. But it had been a while since, since I had read it again, honestly. And so yeah. it was kind of a weird journey to uh, dive back into the world of Jewel of the Fates. Right. And when this dropped, and we're going to go through the dates and everything, you know, the Rise of Skywalker was so fresh. We were still sort of dealing with that. It was like February 2020. The movie wasn't even out for streaming or on DVD Blu-ray yet. So I think we're in this in-between time of there's a lot of discussions happening. Caitlin and I were in like a semi-depressive episode. So it's just interesting because I look back on that time. I can laugh through it now. I look back on that time. It it feels like a blur when this was released. And I don't even remember my initial reactions besides, oh, that's interesting. And personally, it's kind of how I feel towards it now as well. Like, oh, interesting. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so let's talk through. I don't want to spoil anything. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the history In part two, we're going to be talking about what's good. 
And in part three, we're going to be talking about what we didn't like, what's bad, what we absolutely hate about this. <laughs> so without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Welcome to part one, where we're discussing the history of The Duel of the Fates, Colin Trevorrow's alleged episode nine script. So let's let's take it back to when he was announced. Yeah, I know. It's so the allegedness. You know, I think that you have to like caveat that, even though Caitlin mentioned in the beginning of the show that, yes, we're going to treat this like this is legit. I personally think it is. All right. So let's let's take it back to 2015. Okay. <laughs> the Force Awakens <laughs> hype was real, right? There was, was no so real. No Star Wars hype like The Force Awakens in my lifetime, I feel like. And yeah. it just it felt like I couldn't get enough. It felt like we were on the brink of something so new with Star Wars. It's gonna be Lucasfilm and Disney kept saying there's gonna be so many movies. It's gonna we're gonna have this alternating thing of like a saga movie and then an anthology movie. Saga movie, anthology movie. Remember when that was a thing for years yeah. and years and years? That we're just gonna have like Skywalker movies forever. It's just crazy. It's so funny to look back on that and how things have shifted. And it's easy to forget about how fast things have shifted because I think sometimes, even personally, I get a little bit in my head about like, okay, this is where we're at, like streaming shows forever. But I think things can change. The landscape is always changing. And I think that's very clear when we talk about this script. So (laughs) Colin Trevorrow was announced August 15th, 2015. So just a couple months before The Force Awakens came out as the de facto director for episode nine. And Ryan Johnson actually had signed on in 2014, June 14th, 2014. He signed on for eight. And then he was also set to write a quote treatment for nine. I always think this is interesting. I feel like everyone forgets this, that this was part of the initial press release. I think it was the Hollywood Reporter that, yeah, Ryan was going to write a episode nine treatment. That doesn't necessarily mean a script or a screenplay or anything like that, but it could mean an outline. It could mean many things. But I always have to wonder if this ever existed or (laughs) if this happened because later Ryan actually says a few conflicting things about when nine switched directors and everything about what his involvement was going to be. And I always find it really fascinating, you know? Um, what could have been or what even was that we don't know about. That's really what's more interesting to me <laughs> is what we'll find out in the future because so many things about Disney and Lucasfilm and Star Wars around this time period are so secretive. So so many meetings, so many things like thrown up in the air and like trying to figure out what sticks, you know? It's crazy. Throwing spaghetti at the wall. Yeah, and seeing what's done. <laughs> um okay, so couple years go by, right? We have The Force Awakens come out. We have uh, Rogue One come out. What a glorious time those years were. And then in 2017, we're preparing for The Last Jedi. And Colin is pulled from episode nine, September 5th, 2017. So here's the press statement. Lucasfilm and Colin Trevorrow have mutually chosen to part ways on Star Wars Episode Nine. Colin has been a wonderful collaborator through the development process, but we have all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. We wish Colin the best and we'll be sharing more information about the film soon. I just also want to put us back in our shoes about how Colin actually had a movie come out like a month before this called The Book of Henry that was absolutely panned by critics. (laughs) And (laughs) it was, um, I never saw it, but man, I was fascinated I by this movie. Yeah. <laughs> the reviews and just the 
lack of coherency in this movie um, was surprising. I mean, I think we know Colin from his directorship of the Jurassic World movies. I'm a fan of those. I like them. I think his treatment of women in that movie is controversial. (laughs) Controversial is a a word. I don't know. I'm not a fan of Bryce Dallas Howard's character in that movie and the way that she's treated, the way she's shot and things like that, which ultimately come down to a director's decision. Besides that, I do like the movie. I like the franchise. I'm a big Jurassic Park fan. We all know that. But so I understand the choice here, especially because Kathleen Kennedy's husband, Frank Marshall, is the executive producer for those movies. So it's like all in the family. It makes sense. Uh, I don't think it was a big surprise that he was attached to the project. And when I look back on that time period, it makes sense to me that different directors would come into the trilogy and each director would have their own footprint on a different movie, similarly to the original trilogy where we had a different director each time. And it's weird to think about how that was part of the original plan, right? Is this concept of directors coming in and showing their original point of view. And there's so many different points um, when I think about the history of the sequel trilogy and things like that, where Kathleen Kennedy talked about even not just the sequel trilogy, but the anthology films and things that were produced during this time period, when she talked about like movies that she saw that inspired her to reach out. And usually they're not the big tentpole movies like Jurassic World or like even Looper for Ryan Johnson. They're the smaller movies. Uh, I think for Ryan, it was Brick. And I can't remember the movies for um, Gareth Edwards. It was not Godzilla, you know, and things like that. It's just interesting because they always reference these like smaller projects that they're interested in. And oftentimes when you go back to them and you watch them, you're like, oh, that's interesting that that was what got Kathleen Kennedy's attention. I wonder how that'll spin into Star Wars. So I always felt like I don't I don't think and Caitlin, you give me your thoughts. I don't think Colin was pulled based off of the reviews for Book of Henry. I think that it could have been part of it, but personally I think that when you read through the script and this was the draft that he submitted and the draft itself is dated 2016 uh basically around when rogue one came out so december 2016 that we're going to read through and talk about i think that they just had a lot of disagreements about the ways the characters could should you know continue on like it's easy to forget sometimes about like how fandom discourse like fits into this because our own fan perspective is different from what's happening behind the scenes it's not always different but it feels like it is different because They've already they already know how the last Jedi is going to be or they already are married to what the last Jedi is like by the time that Colin is pulled the last Jedi is in the can it's been finished for months Ryan like shot that thing edited that thing and it was finished really early um so they already know that so it's interesting because whatever the the script the duel of the fate script I think plays off of what the last Jedi uh, accomplished in a lot of ways, in more ways than I think I was expecting. But the central thing that I don't think it plays off of very well, which is Rey and Kylo, I, that is, which also I would say is the main takeaway of The Last Jedi, uh, they don't mesh. So it's interesting. I have to, I wish I was a fly on the wall for those conversations. It makes sense that he was pulled, I guess, but it also sounds mutual. Colin has talked about it in the past about the sort of removal and the the parting ways. Um, and I think that he, he in August 2020 at a Comic-Con, he revealed a ship that he and his son designed. It really does sound like he had a great time making the movie as far as he did or like concepting it. He says, 
that was just an experience. As you can imagine, it gets to the point of being traumatic when you've cared about something so that much and invested so much in it. That was one of those things you accept when you take on any role in a film and especially when you become a storyteller. I think people move around projects all the time. It does seem like a little bit of a pattern with Star Wars and Lucasfilm these days, but there's like one side of me that is like, that's all, sounds kind of messy. There's the other side of me that's like, okay, they have a strong vision. They know what they want. They're, I don't know. It's just interesting. So, okay, so we're in September 5th, 2017, when Colin is pulled. I remember being happy about it. I think Caitlin was too, right? Yeah, no, we were we were happy about it at that yeah. point. Yeah. So just a week later, J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio are in for uh, episode nine. And the movie moves from May 2019 to December 2019 with this announcement. Um, I remember not being surprised about that either. That felt so fast that they were going to do that. But if you think about it, this was now a two-year lead time for a movie where the other movies had way more time and things. So, you know, it makes sense that they moved it. I can't even imagine what would happen if it was moved to December 2020. I just, I can't. But <laughs> I uh, I remember being Hindsight like... Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight, it really is 2020. <laughs> I think that with... JJ and Chris Terrio being announced, I also remember being like, okay, it makes sense. Like, this isn't a surprising announcement, right? Because JJ did The Force Awakens. We loved The Force Awakens. He's ending his characters that he started. Makes sense. I remember being a little concerned about the Chris Terrio thing, but he also remained a a mystery to me and in a lot of ways is still a mystery to me. Um, But yeah, there's no mention of the Ryan Johnson treatment or anything like that. But I do remember in this time period between September 5th and September 12th when the JJ announcement was made, everyone was like, Ryan's going to take it. Ryan's going to take it. The prevailing rumor yeah. was Ryan was going to do it because they were so excited about it. And what actually happened was Ryan was given the other trilogy that is still, I guess, right now shelved or whatever. We don't know anything about it. Just kind of existing in the ether that he <laughs> is given a different Someone trilogy. Someone pull it out of the ether. <laughs> yeah, please pull it off the, out of the ether. Please take it off the shelf. <laughs> oh, it's just, oh my God. Yeah, so there's. it's interesting because during this time, there was like so many announcements. Do you remember that? It was like yeah. every five seconds there was an it announcement. It was like whiplash. Yeah, I, I think, I, you know, I can't remember, but even I think – in this time period, like the Mandalorian was announced and that was shrouded in mystery too. There was just a lot of changes going on in Lucasfilm and that was the end of Colin Trevorrow's Star Wars, except January 2020 when a script was released on Reddit (laughs) um, of like a breakdown, okay, a script breakdown. And then shortly after that, concept art is released. It is awesome concept art. Um, And then another wave of concept art is released. So we have about 48 pieces of concept art that were released from this. So it's very clear. I think we we know as people who have studied a lot about Star Wars and Star Wars production, how early concept art begins. It even begins sometimes before the script. Actually, usually it begins before the script, right? And so there's a lot of concept art done by the main players of Star Wars concept artists that we're pretty familiar with based off of the art of books. And man, this stuff is gorgeous. I do recommend looking at it if you haven't. I'll include some links um, to the Reddit pages. It's so, it's weird, like citing Reddit, but that's how it is. That's what you got to do. Yeah. So the question is, who released all this stuff? 
<laughs> so this the, is in the prevailing theory oh. is that college himself released it yeah i think this this has happened before you know recently i was listening to the final episode of blast points indiana jones year their indie year which is awesome they always do like a themed year this past year they did an indiana jones year and there was a similar thing that happened with indiana jones um before kingdom of the crystal skull years before when then when Indy 4 was in development, it was going to happen. And I think the prevailing theory there also is that the creator himself released the script to be devoured over fans. And I don't personally think this created the kind of splash that I would have expected <laughs> because I think people, I just don't really feel like in the fandom this was as debated as I would have expected it would be. I don't know. Caitlin, what do you think about that? I don't know. I remember a lot of people. Like this, I feel like this made a splash when it came out. It made a splash, ever, but it wasn't but like I think we the thing is devouring we, ourselves over it. Well, it because we were all devouring trots, <laughs> <laughs> and like this, it was like you read this and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you like you get it. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing. It's like you understand, like you can read the Duel of the Fates and kind of understand why it wasn't chosen. I think you can kind of see some of the holes in the script. And I think you mentioned this earlier about it connecting up to the Last Jedi in certain ways, and and it does. And in some ways, I think maybe better than Trust. But there is something about Duel of the Fates that just misses the mark when it comes to like the characterization I, I it's kind of hard to describe because there's some characters that i think are well written in duel of the fates and others that i think are not and i think that the script overall just kind of it just like barely misses like it, it's hard to describe and so i think I that's that's why it wasn't like oh my god we could have had this like release the trevorrow cut you know refilm it something like that it was kind of like oh okay uh <laughs> all right well if like i have a half to pick <laughs> yeah it's true that's how i feel too and i think you're right that in some ways i think that the this movie the script does better by like being a sequel to the last jedi than the rise of skywalker but there are crucial things in the rise of skywalker that i wouldn't trade for this however there are so many there are a lot of things in this especially with the concept art where i'm like that is so cool that is awesome and that makes sense to round out certain character arcs and in a different way than what we got with the rise of skywalker personally to me i can't help but wonder if jj and Cristerio read the script and then they even course corrected from this script and they were like we can't use that we have to do something completely different if that was the case I think that's kind of wrong. And maybe they should have given Colin a producer credit in the same way that they did for other films, um, the the solo film, right, that has a producer credit to the guys who did Into the Spider-Verse. I'm forgetting their names right now. But that's that's Lord the way Miller. that they did it. Be- yeah, exactly. Lord and Miller. Because they had to work with what was already filmed, right? And what do you think, Caitlin? Do you think that they, like, read this and we're like okay we can't do anything with this because Kathy hated it or they parted ways based off this and so now we have to do something completely new yeah I think they started from scratch I think I think that was probably part of the deal too when Colin left is that 
it's all or nothing. Like I can, I can almost see like that kind of drama playing out in Kathy's office. And I also think that I feel like JJ honestly was probably involved a lot earlier than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Kathy was sending him because he was a producer. He was going to be a producer. Yeah. He was a producer on Last Jedi. He was going to be a producer on Nine either mm-hmm. way uh, before he came back as writer and director. So I'm sure he was aware. And, you know, maybe even he was the one leading the charge of, you know, this is not good. This is not this is not how things should be ending. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Super I do think they I do think they read it. I think JJ at least read it. I don't know about Chris, but I I would say that they probably both did read Duel of the Fates and were like, no, we gotta we gotta start completely over. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I forgot to mention that Colin actually himself mentions Duel of the Fates as the title in a tweet. He confirms that uh concept art is actually concept art from Duel of the Fates. So there is that connection. He never has confirmed the script release, but he did confirm the concept art release and the concept art aligns very clearly with the uh, script. Yeah. That's like, that's <laughs> the confirmation. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, this is all we're going to get. Okay. Uh, obviously I think we're going to get more in the coming years as we always do, but it's pretty much the confirmation, but he's not admitting to doing it himself. The thing <laughs> is that for me, if I were like Colin's best friend, I'm not saying I would do that, but I could see someone, not him, like someone close to him releasing it. Just like, like a, a drunk night, one too, yeah. Many, <laughs> yeah. one too many drinks, and oh my god, it's uploaded. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> and sometimes, like, there's also a little bit of a conspiracy side when you know that a film studio monitors Reddit and does release fake leaks sometimes, where you wonder if they release this just so that the fans then are like, eh, kind of grateful for what we have. Because <laughs> especially in that climate. <laughs> Exactly. And I think we all remember that climate, which was really rough. And to be honest, like it worked. <laughs> so at least for me, I was like, yeah, I'm happy yeah. with what we have, I guess. <laughs> I felt so. it's such it's such like a bad place to be I in. Know. I remember being like, wow, I oh no. Like because <laughs> Joel the Fates had some cool stuff in it, right? Like we've got the, the inclusion of Coruscant, honestly, I think is so cool. It's so cool. And I'm so I'm so mad that we didn't have something some honestly Coruscant in episode nine. Mm-hmm. The the mortis of it is super trippy and um I'm not sure if I completely vibe with the story they wanted mm-hmm. for it, but the fact that they were like, Yeah, let's let's take it, let's make Mortis the underpinning of this story. It's so cool. Like it's that wild. concept was like, yes, that's what we wanted. It's that's wild. It. And it's also like, I wouldn't say it's vindication, but there's some things that I'm like, oh, that's what we were leading to. Oh, that's what they thought we were leading to back in like 2016 when things were being written, like story concepts were being thrown around with story group and like things were being sprinkled around in books and everything Um, because that's how it works. And I think for me, like we're going to talk about this later, but we might as well just talk about it now since you brought it up, the Coruscant of it all, I... And you, too, always felt like it was, like, where the heck is Coruscant in all of this? Yeah. And I, you know that they were saving it for some grand reveal when the First Order took it over. And it was going to be so, like, baller, right? Like, for lack of a better term. <laughs> it was – in the concept art is sick. And okay, everything cool. about it is so cool. And we knew that we were going there, right? Like, they weren't going to blow it up 
like they did with Hosnian Prime in The Force Awakens, and they weren't really going to show it anywhere else besides I think they show it in Bloodline. I might be wrong about that, but uh, you're still you're feeling like where is it? Because it used to be the center of the galaxy. It was like in every single prequel movie, which was the last movies that we saw. So just yeah. interesting. Even with Mortis, it was like we had talked about this, the concept of Mortis and how interesting it was and how we hope it plays into the future, the fortune cookies of it all for so long. Like even before we were like even quote unquote Raylos after The Last Jedi, it just felt like it was a natural progression because it was like the craziest, most interesting thing about the Clone Wars for you and I. Not the most interesting thing, but like highly debated, very cool, kind of life-changing. And it felt casually life changing, but like honestly, it was, and so it made sense that it would ev- somehow come into um, this time period where there was so much emphasis on expanding the force, you know. Yeah. And it was like, well, we already have this thing here that's so weird that's basically unexplained. <laughs> so if we're gonna do something that's close to a chosen one narrative, we have to figure out how this all fits in. And I, it just, it felt sort of natural, but. Of course, like, because they did it, just to go back to the original point about, like, did Chris and JJ just, like, fully, like, the all or nothing of it all, um, they, because it was written in here, they couldn't do it in The Rise of Skywalker. And even with some of the the concept art, there's a shot of when, in the script, Kylo goes to find a Sith holocron, um, and the concept art looks so similar to Exegol with this, like, big square, like, box on top of it. And in the concept art for Duel of the Fates, that big square box of concrete is like cracked and broken. And looks so cool. But it, it's some of those things where you're like, oh, they recycled that a little bit. Because you can do that with art. And I think that they did that in some cases here. It's just interesting. Fascinating stuff. I will never be over it. Yeah, I don't think I will be either. <laughs> the, the episode nine in general of it all. <laughs> I know, I know. Also, <laughs> let's let's pose this question. We're sitting here judging the script, right? But we know that movies change and progress so much when actors get to read the script, we get on a set, we start playing off lines. Like this is JJ's whole thing, right? And this is why people love JJ because things can change and it's fluid. I don't know. It's not like tied to the script. Ryan Johnson, however, is pretty tied to his script, which I respect because he, it's a man with a vision. But anyway, we know that scripts go through so many edits, so many drafts. We've all read the Rinsler books. We know Star Wars, where it started and where it ended. So how can we judge something like this fully? Or do we just sort of put that in our back pocket? Because we have a podcast. Exactly. And that gives us the authority to do such. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, I think just understanding that this is a draft, we have no idea what version this was no idea what comments were we don't even know what the key things are that led colin and lucasfilm to eventually part ways like was it kylo's storyline was it the mortis thing was it coruscant was it you know leia was it something like what was the line in the sand that finally colin was like you know what i'm not going to change that and they were like all right this is where we part ways you know what i mean like there was some like that. That's what I kind of keep thinking about. Like there was something in this script or another version of this script that became the line in the sand for both of them, and they couldn't see eye to eye on it. 
So I think it's important for us to kind of understand that there are so many pieces to this story that we do not know, despite having a quote unquote full script in front of us. It is just a draft. We don't know at what stage this draft was. We don't know if this was the draft that, you know, eventually led to Colin and Lucasfilm deciding not to work together anymore. So Mm -hmm. I think just kind of having that understanding before we go into this discussion is helpful. But I think for our purposes, judging it as a script and a what if, ah, we can go all in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Um, It's interesting because, again, with the the date that they parted ways, right? So that's in late 2017. And this script is dated December 2016. So you have to imagine that there's going to be some edits, some changes, but maybe not. But you have, again, you have to imagine like things were moving, things were going, because we know how long it takes to make a Star Wars movie. In fact, they need longer, right? Like, I think we all agree that a Star Wars movie should take at least three years. With The Rise of Skywalker, they had maybe under two, which is just crazy. And uh, you can feel it. And I think that, uh, yeah. So uh, you know that this was in production for a while or in production is not the right word because I know that's a specific word, but in development, development. Yes. Um, for a while, conversations were happening and it's just fascinating to go into it. So should we dive into what we like and what we don't like? Let's get into it. Okay. All right. Welcome to part two where we're talking about what's good. <laughs> <laughs> What's good? What's good with Jewel the Fates <laughs> on this brisk December 20th? <laughs> Here's the thing. So the way that I think we're, we have to go through this is like what we like and what we don't like. And we're not going to be able to cover everything because it's a, f- a full-on movie script, right? Like we just can't. So uh, I think we should start here though. How did this script make you feel? It just makes me feel weird. Honestly, like I, I, I feel like I've, we've already kind of talked about this, but it's just such a weird, a weird experience to read it. Like that, we don't have anything else like it in Star Wars. Um, to read this kind of alternative version and to see kind of how different Tross and Duel of the Fates are, it's, it's so strange. Like I, I honestly, I can't get over how weird it is that we have this script in general. Like. The fact that someone did drunkenly or accidentally pedally upload this to Reddit, it says something. I'm not sure what, but right. like you can read it as a drunken mistake, but honestly, I kind of read it as a petty move. Like, oh, Tross isn't going over well. Here's what you could have had. And then everyone was like, oh, what? well, <laughs> maybe we didn't want that either. And then now Colin's really never going to fess up that he He's like, all right, well, oops. <laughs> like if, if we're believing that he uploaded it. Oh my God. Um, that's kind of the headcanon I take about it, like <laughs> why it was uploaded. But this this script, you know, it's it's almost similar to Trost in the way that like there are things in it that I'm like, oh my God, yes, like that's so cool. But then you look at the entirety of the the story that was being told. And I just, it leaves me wanting more. It leaves me feeling like the writer doesn't get it, <laughs> which feels like, I don't know, I'm not a writer. I I 
talk a lot on my podcast, but that doesn't make me an expert (laughs) on Star Wars or writing or these characters or what their ultimate fates should have been in in any of these movies. Um, But it's like I I come away with almost a similar feeling with Tross of, yeah, I'm glad there were these things included, but I still don't feel good about the story overall. It still doesn't feel like how I wanted to feel when I walked out of episode nine. Yeah, the full picture. It's interesting because I don't know if – I think that The Last Jedi was like really pushed the boundaries so much that this script just doesn't fly. But I do wonder if like when this was being written, it was just The Force Awakens that was out-out. So like you could really only gauge the fan perspective of The Force Awakens – there's a lot going on in The Force Awakens. It's just interesting because I've, I'm the same way with as you. This script makes me feel weird. I read it <laughs> and some of the stuff makes me laugh out loud. Some of the stuff makes me like want to cheer. And But most of it, like as a composite piece, feels strange. And I have to kind of think that I'm not the only – like we're not the only people who felt that way. And I don't – it's it's just odd. The whole the whole experience is very weird, personally, and yeah. I think it I think it has to do with like not fully agreeing with the ways that the characters go. But at the same time, personally, it's like I just um, really have a fundamental issue with the way that Ben Solo Kylo Ren is written in this script, and I can't separate that. And yeah. if I were to accept anything, like I would accept Tross or the Rise of Skywalker over this because I feel like that is the emotional core of the sequel trilogy is um, Ray and Kylo. And for me, I feel like this script does wrong with that. So as many of the other things that I do like, and I wish I could like mix and match because if we could, I think we'd make a really good movie, but I, I can't rationalize that since that's the thing that I'm personally most attached to in it's- the sequel trilogy. Yeah, it's just weird um, because it's like even to take like the Raylo out of it, the like romantic Raylo of it, Ben Kylo as a character just feels – he feels like such a caricature yeah. of Kylo Ren even as a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just – it's it feels – he feels out of place. Like honestly, I think a lot of the – like everything with, with Ray and Finn and Rose and Poe, like – all of that honestly jives pretty well for me. I mean, we'll talk about like Ray and Poe, but like all of their dynamics for the most part, I can I can get behind it, you know? Like I there's a lot of good banter in there. Rose is in this Rose is in the movie. Oh so that's that's like <laughs> 80 points out of 100 right there. And right. she's in it a lot and it's so cool to see her um being so active and a part of the group like god her just like being a part of the group is so great and like being so active and taking charge and um, we even get some of that like that ginger rose (laughs) in this movie too and I think it's just it's so it's so great and I'm like how why was this so hard to do in trust this should not have been should not have been the way it was um, because it's like when I when I look at Tross, right, and I think about the probably the top three things for me in that film are Ray Palpatine, Rose, 
and Ben dying. And honestly, like I put Ben dying at the bottom of that list because I think I had always kind of mentally prepared for that possibility. But the Ray Palpatine and Rose, those to me are like the most egregious (laughs) offenses and like the hardest things for me to understand and get behind. Um, And this film, Duel of the Fates, this script, I should say, does not have Ray Palpatine, (laughs) which is great. And then uh, has a, a... so much rose in it, which is great too. And so it's it's kind of weird that uh, this this script, you know, delivers on two of the things that I think kind of uh, hurt me the most about The Rise of Skywalker. I completely agree. I think Rose is such a badass in the script and it's awesome. She has such an active role. I feel so much better about the Resistance crew in this script than I do about the one in The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I feel like they have a really shared history based off of like their even their comments about their clothes or like, uh, why are we always in this mess? Like, why can't it just be easy? I think Rose says that. Like, just one time. You know, that it reminds me of what we were experiencing in the original trilogy by Return of the Jedi with our original trio. Yeah. And it reminds me about that in a good way, in the way that I think it felt so forced in The Rise of Skywalker, where I personally feel like it's written better here. And maybe because yeah. I see them like being so active, I really like the concept of like an underground city waiting for a rebellion to rise up, needing armies and leaders and how, how we can help like the, the little guys, you know? And I really, really like that. And it feels like there's a strong political undertone in this script that I don't feel like is present in The Rise of Skywalker. And like you said, both of those two things that are the top two things for you. It's really hard for me to rationalize it. So the fact that Rose has so many quickie, quippy, sarcastic lines, and there's also her relationship with Finn is pretty strong. They both like work through Finn's own stormtrooper trauma in in this script in a way that I don't think is actually done, at least successfully in my opinion, in The Rise of Skywalker. And I, I just felt it more. I felt the camaraderie. I felt the the like the oh my gosh this is so cool like they're in the resistance they're doing all these cool missions and like i never really felt that by the end of the sequel trilogy of our trio but i definitely felt it in this script well because in trust like they just fight they just fight and this in this one they're like not fighting they're helping out each other yeah there's a really cool ray reveal where she's dressed up as a tuscan and She's going through her own stuff too, similarly to how she's going through a lot of stuff in The Rise of Skywalker too. Because she of course talks she about is. it. Yeah, but she actually talks about it. She talks about it with Finn, and Finn is very aware of you know the fact that Kylo is in her head, and they have this shared thing. And there's a sense of like, oh my gosh, like they've talked about everything. There's not secret, secret, secrets. And I liked that, and I felt like that really jives with the Finn and Ray. Um, that we met in The Force Awakens and also yeah. what I would expect to happen in between The Last Jedi and the and Duel of the Fates, right? That they, they would go on these missions, that there would be a time jump. I think there's a time jump. I don't remember if there's like a big time jump. I don't remember what the, the specifics of that are, if they were specific at all, but there really does be seem to be a sense of like they've been on several missions together in the same way that you feel like Anakin and Obi-Wan have gone through so much um, when you're in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I think that 
Finn and Ray's relationship really stands out in Duel of the Fates. Um, it's kind of similar, honestly, to The Last Jedi. Not not quite, but like in the sense that I think The Last Jedi, even though they weren't together very often, they were always talking about each other. And I think that for the limited number of scenes that Finn and Ray were together in Duel of the Fates, I thought they were utilized really well. Um, and them talking you know, about what's going on with Ray, but then Finn also having his own actual storyline. Um, and like, I know that he technically does in trust, but like, like you said, it doesn't, it's not very well realized or thought out. Whereas in Duel of the Fates with Rose, they actually talk about it and talk about how he's feeling and what he's been through um, and how there are others like him and could be like him and he could be a part of helping other stormtroopers realize that they have another path in life. And right. he does. He, we get to see that realized in the film or in the script. And it's not the same. It's not quite the same as I think the stormtrooper revolution, but it's, it it's basically is. It's yeah. It's close. really close. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a great conversation and it's a great moment. And for me, it felt a lot more meaningful than him just happening across a group of, I guess, other force sensitive stormtroopers. I really liked the, the trio, the, not, not even the trio, the, the quad of them. I feel like they, like they all got moments with each other, except of course, I don't think there is an explicit Rose and Ray scene. Is there, I might've missed it. No, no there is not. <laughs> I, um, I want to comment a little bit more about Finn and the stormtrooper rebellion. Um, I think that this is as I would have been happy with this yeah. as an end point for Finn's arc. I think that, it's pretty clear that Rose is inspired by Finn and they inspire each other too, which is their entire purpose in um, The Last Jedi, right? But with the Stormtrooper Rebellion in Duel of the Fates, there's several moments that I think are just so well done. First is Finn like rallying this underground group of people. Um, he has a great like rallying speech that I think is just so good and callbacks even to The Force Awakens about like we have an army, you have a weapon. It's, it's great. It's really good. And then, you know, he makes um, an acquaintance with a former stormtrooper and they talk it out and just this one on one talking it out. And he says, you know, that's right. We're brothers, all of us. And he's talking it out with this uh, stormtrooper who is questioning things and he is um, making him remember his past. And Finn says, get a name. That's the first step. The guy goes, then what? And then he goes, find something worth fighting for. And I just felt like that was really the essence of what I really wanted to see in The Rise of Skywalker. And like, that's not to say that that didn't happen in a small way. I just think that it was real. it's really strong in Duel of the Fates in a way that really centers Finn and this part of his story. Because The Last Jedi didn't do much with that. And I that's like a huge criticism that so many people, including myself, have of The Last Jedi. I like Finn's storyline in The Last Jedi, but I, there's a lot of unresolved trauma regarding being a stormtrooper that needed to happen in the third movie. And I think that this does a good job of that. And I felt it. And it's like the most, one of the most moving part. No, it is the most moving part for me in this script that I was, I think I would do a lot to trade this part of Finn's storyline for what we got in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, I can... 
I can hear John Boyega saying these lines as Me too. Me too. You know, and I can see it too. It just – it really does kind of leap off the page um, when you're reading it. And yeah, I agree. This is is one of those things that just feels more realized, feels more heartfelt, I think, in Duel of the Fates than what came across in The Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about Rey. I have – Ray in my part of what I think is good in this script because I actually got a sense of evolution with Ray that I don't fully get in The Rise of Skywalker. Um, in the beginning of The Rise of Skywalker, I feel like Ray is where I would expect her to be. She's training and everything. But in Duel of the Fates, I think that she's stormy, <laughs> that she uh, she has a clear costume change, which I really like. Here for a costume change. Yes, I'm very much here for a costume change. And I think that there obvi- there was a change, I guess, of a costume in The Rise of Skywalker, but it's remarkably similar to her first one. And when we go back to the concept art that is just so cool of uh, Duel of the Fates, and in the script it's actually described pretty well that she's dressed in all black, that she has a new lightsaber that comes apart. It's a dual hilt, but it has like it comes apart, which is what we see at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, but it would have been so cool if she emerged with this double-hilted lights. It's so cool. And I don't know, this progression is pretty similar to how we see Luke go from farm boy to someone who's wearing like black Jedi robes. And I think that it's what we were expecting, right? Because I think we see Rey wearing like tan. And then in The Last Jedi, she's wearing grays and browns. And the next progression of her costume is a darker color <laughs> but instead the rise of skywalker went in the reverse and i think there was a sense even before then i'm not going to pretend like i wasn't optimistic about that decision but i think i would have preferred if she was dressed in a badass black outfit so yeah. and i i i think that even the way that, that she's described i just i like okay they say um the tuscan mask hits the ground it's ray not the girl we last saw a grown woman powerful strong. Um, I have to acknowledge that I do think that this is in the male gaze, but I do appreciate some evolution in terms of like becoming a strong woman. (laughs) I don't know how this would have played in the movie, but I'm like, yeah, that works. That makes sense to me. And I'm here for it. The battle ready outfit is great. And I also really like, there's several conversations between Leia and Rey. So this is also really hard to judge because Carrie Fisher died a couple of days later, even from the date of this script. So That's another thing we didn't talk about. That's a huge, probably a huge reason why they needed to change things. And maybe Colin just couldn't rationalize that. But Leia has a really great line to Ray that I think it was like, yes, like, I think there is a understanding of her character that I don't think I, that JJ had or Chris Terrio had in The Rise of Skywalker. So, okay. Leia says, you're not like my father or my brother. You're new. Whatever happens, remember, the force shows you, Ray. Your story isn't written by anyone else. I just really like the sentiment, and I think this continues throughout the entire script. Obviously, I think we're going to talk about the Ray and Kyla stuff later, but I do think that Ray, as she is in the script, is pretty good, and I'm into it. Yeah, I think that Ray, uh, re- really, I think a lot of the things outside of Kylo's character in general and Ray and Kylo as a duo is 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 well written for the most part. Um, like I think that Ray's interactions, we talked about this before, but like the camaraderie between her and the rest of the resistance crew 
it works. Like I buy the banter. I'm here for what they're doing. She gets to show off and be the Jedi. It it all makes sense to me. And I do think that it's pretty well written. I can like I can hear like what like with John, I can hear Daisy saying some of these lines. And I think it lines up pretty well for what I thought about her character moving into episode nine. If you go back and listen to our episode nine speculation, um, you'll hear me often be like, I don't know what they're going to do with Ray because she, I felt she had kind of crossed one of the biggest bridges that she needed to cross in The Last Jedi. So I was like, what is her conflict moving forward? And I think that, I think that the beginning part of Duel of the Fates did a pretty decent job at showing her relationships to the other people in the resistance, save for Rose, of course, um, but to Leia and Poe and Finn. And I think that it also showed her wanting, like trying to figure out this thing that's happening with Kylo, um, being worried about, uh, you know, having to travel to Mortis and like what all of that means and being concerned about Poe, not wanting him to come with her, all of that. I think all of that kind of tracks with the trajectory of where her character should have gone. Like it was such a personal story in The Last Jedi. And then in The Rise of Skywalker, episode nine, it becomes this like the cosmic force level that I think you and I were kind of anticipating. And in a weird way, Duel of the Fates gives that to us, but not in a good way. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, overall, I agree. I think that I recognize Rey and Duel of the Fates. And I can't yeah. really say the same for Rey in The Rise of Skywalker. Rey in The Rise of Skywalker is just she's so angry, kind of the whole film. Um, there's really not a lot of break in that, I think. And in Duel of the Fates, she's not like she's she has friends. She has things she cares about. She's, you know, supposedly has a crush on Poe, but like it's giving me something other than anger. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's more than one note. And uh, that for me is really important with Ray's character. Yeah, totally agree. Obviously, we're going to talk about it. I have a lot of other problems with like what happens in this script, but I'm with you in that I recognize Ray as well. And I do feel like there's an insistence over, um, Leia, I can bring your son back. I can I can bring him back. That I guess I just didn't fully feel in The Rise of Skywalker. I appreciate that insistence. No, remember, he's just Ren in Rise of yeah. Skywalker. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I like some of those, some of that like little things like that I've like blocked out because it's weirdly upsetting to me. And <laughs> it's just the lack of compassion there just really bugs me. And I, there's a lack of compassion in the script as well. And I'm not going to pretend like there's not. But I do, again, think that the ending with Ben and Ray and everything on Exegol, like it makes sense. And I do pre- prefer it to whatever the heck this is. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's talk, let's move on a little bit and talk about another thing that I personally liked and I thought was just like funny is the concept of Chancellor Hux. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like we had talked about so long about how Hux is the major threat to Kylo, to the First Order, and this script elevates Hux to a place of political power. Um, and the way that they show it is just kind of, it's interesting to me because I agree with this choice. I think that this was like 
should have happened. I think Huck should have been um, a big bad in the way that like Pride was in The Rise of Skywalker. And he's like, Chancellor Hux is pretty darn evil, right? He has a light ba- blade guillotine. In the concept art, they show the guillotine. And man, you know, there's some pretty stuff gnarly. in this. Yeah, that is like very violent. And I also wonder if that was another reason. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I appreciated the, the, you know, decision to include a light blade a guillotine. But man, is that a lot to have and <laughs> show in this kids movie. Anyway, um, I also thought it was hilarious that they had Hux become a lightsaber collector <laughs> and how he tries to use the force and he tries to use it on Rose too. And she's like, like, no. No. It's a good comedy moment, I think, it because it, it shows obviously you have the this dualism of like Hux being this big bad, this evil chancellor, a, a name that we recognize pretty well from like the prequels and knowing that Chancellor Palpatine is evil as well, too. So it makes sense. Right. And we're on Coruscant and you see his evil deeds happening and this like sense of competition for power and like different types of power with Kylo, I think is done really well. Like it's under the surface, right? Kylo wants to rule everything um, with this knowledge of the force, which I guess makes sense for his character, but I just think it was done kind of cruelly and uh, again, without compassion in a way that I just didn't jive with, but I guess it makes sense for these two characters to diverge on this point. One, you have a Force-sensitive character who's really proven himself to Snoke as a a Force-sensitive character and like an apprentice. When you have Hux on the other side, who, what else, how how does he prove himself? And here he's going after political power, which I think makes a lot of sense. But I think it's funny because you have him be a a lightsaber collector (laughs) and it's just really adds to this like tension between him and Kylo, which I love. So I think it was it was good i think there's some really funny freaking lines in this that one that is like so spoofed on the web on on the website on the internet often it's just part of the script it's not said out loud but you know hux realizes the tragic truth he lost the star wars is just so good it's it's good in like a funny way it's so bad it's good we would never see that on screen i just want to remind people of that it's like it's just in the script um and i feel like we can sense like we could feel like what that's like for him this sort of embarrassment of hux realizing like he's lost (laughs) um but the line dramatically kills himself yeah jeez jeez that that was that was pretty drastic yeah there's like so there's so much of that that I'm like, that is just violent. But he, uh, you know, this line is just so funny. There's some things in the script that are just like kind of endearingly bad. And in- I don't know if they're bad, right? I, I don't know if I'm the best judge for this, but I- they made me kind of laugh out loud in the descriptions. And because I think the descriptions kind of got a- the point across to me, like there's one where it talks about how Star Destroyers protrude from the sky like spikes on a punk bracelet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love that. And then there's because like you you can picture that, right? That's, yeah. that's hilarious. Like, okay, call it. Um, and then you have this part where Leia's message is being read throughout the galaxy and you see it in all these different pieces. You see Tatooine, you see different planets and everything. And then there's a shot of Bosk. <laughs> This is great. I know. Bosk, sitting like a sultan in his den of pleasures, turns angrily to the hologram projected from his servant droid. I just think it's so funny that like we're we're going to these all these pieces of the galaxy and then we see Bosk. 
In a den of pleasures. Yeah, in his den of pleasures. It reminds me a little bit of the Book of Boba Fett that we're about to see, but yeah, um, yeah, it's just time. Some of these things in the script like made me laugh out loud as just a fan reading it. I don't know if how it would have um, played on screen, but <laughs> that one I was like, "That's funny." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I guess like for anyone, it could have just been a Trandoshan, but in the script, it literally says Bosk. So that's that. <laughs> <laughs> Such a random inclusion. I wonder if Colin just really likes Bosque, which would make sense to me. Well, it's like everyone has to have their deep cut, right? John Favreau, it's the ice cream maker. Uh, and maybe for Colin Trevorrow, it's Bosque. Totally. And for Chris Terrio and JJ, it's like four billion things, including a medal for Chewy. So. But the boss thing for me, I'm like, it's just the twins. Kind of funny. It's just the yeah. twins. That's it for for JJ and uh, Chris. It's yeah. just Luke and Leia. Just the, That's yeah, their the deep cut. Yeah, totally. One thing I do like about this script is there's a payoff for Luke saying "see you around, kid" to Kylo, and it comes in the form of Luke haunting Kylo, which I think is exactly what you and I were hoping for. In, in episode nine and there's a, it's a there's a couple of good lines i don't know how do you feel about this caitlin is it just me who who likes this i mean i'm glad that they have a conversation but i don't do i love the conversation yeah i, I know that's, I, that's the, other thing. That's do the I love weird the thing no because it's it's needlessly cruel it's always so yeah. cruel but the the it's weird that there's no payoff for that in the Rise of it's Skywalker. So I'll weird. never be able to rationalize that. It's so it's weird. So weird. Because if is the payoff like I'll see you in the afterlife? Because that is freaking dark. And but we I, don't. <laughs> but we don't. That's the other thing. So, but I like the I like the exchange sort of. So, do you want to do you want to role play it a little bit? Who do you want to be? I'll be Luke. I'll be Kylo. Leave me alone. This is where the dark path leads. An empty tomb. Luke Skywalker's voice haunting his nephew like a spirit. And where did your path lead? You're a ghost. I know what you're searching for, Ben. Your master promised you strength, but you feel hollow. Soon I will be more powerful than any Jedi, even you. Are you sure? Kylo snaps, spins his spins and swings his lightsaber at empty space. With a billow of cold wind, Luke's spirit is gone. Go home, Ben. Go home to Leia. I don't know. I feel like I like that. Like, I think that they, it's, it would have been interesting to see, don't you think? I think that this part would have been, but then there's the other part where he's like, you're no Skywalker. Yeah, I hate that. The fact <laughs> that just, Luke says ugh. that is just bad. It does not jive yeah. with the, the way that I, I don't know, I think Luke is. Yeah. I think even in like this being nitpicky, but him saying like, go home to Leia, like, why wouldn't you say like, go home to your mother? You know, like, why would you call her by her first name? <laughs> so true. So Kylo. true. So and true. I think what I had hoped when I had thought about episode nine for their confrontation is that it would, like, what I hoped it would happen more than once, that there would almost be a conversation like this where Kylo is still very much like, you know, rah, I hate you. But then there is this moment of realization and – like forgiveness between both of them for everything that had happened. Uh, closure, I guess. Like I think I had wanted actual closure from their relationship. And yeah. neither one of these versions really give that to us at all. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think Luke in this script is interesting. I definitely prefer him here than what we got in The Rise of Skywalker. Just, And maybe that's just based off of the fact that there's just a lot more dialogue for Luke in this than there was in The Rise of Skywalker. So I like, I don't know. I, Luke is a very like a special character to like you and I. And I think that it's hard. I feel like it's been hard to get him right lately. And <laughs> I think that yeah. the, some of it is right and some of it is wrong. And that's where it gets a little confusing. Um, I think that Luke and Ray talking about Mortis is like really cool. And then there's a really good line about balance. Like there's a couple of good conversations about what balance is. Um, do you want to read this together, Caitlin? Okay, I'll be Ray. You want me to kill Leia's son? The Force guides us towards balance. It doesn't always show us what we want to see. Ray scoffs, petulant, angry. Balance. Dark suffocates the light. Light extinguishes the dark. Over and over. How is that balance? I know that anger. I had it. My father had it too. So says my master, and his master before him. A thousand masters, so eager to tell us how to live. She looks through an arched opening at the resistance base below, Finn and Rose, calibrating a grappling cannon, Poe and Chewie working on the Falcon. I spent my whole life wanting a family. Now I've got one. I won't abandon them. The Force is speaking to you, Ray. Maybe I'm not who it thinks I am. Who are you? I'm no one. If that's what you believe, the last Jedi is dead. So I just really like this conversation. Okay, there's a lot to nitpick about this conversation, right? But what I do like is Ray questioning what balance is because I think that's what you and I do on this podcast all the time, right? And I think that her verbalizing that, this frustration with masters and apprentices and codes and things like that, balance and what her role is in all of this, I think is a manifestation of things that we... We're, tr- we're trying to figure out what Ray's purpose in the story is. And if it really is balance, then what's the point and why? And I think that she's, again, she's verbalizing what we've been talking about for years. And I like that. I don't like Luke telling Ray to kill Ben, but it is similar to Obi-Wan telling Luke to kill Vader. But the difference here is that the payoff is a little bit different because in order to heal, personally, in order to heal the story, I think um, Ben shouldn't have died in the end of this script too. If he did turn back, um, yeah, just based off of the like the parallelism and like why why do that if you're not going to push it forward? Because I think the ending here is like pretty similar to what happens with Vader and Luke, and I think that's a a big hang up that a lot of us have about. The Rise of Skywalker with Ben dying there as well. But at least there's a, like a, I don't know, it, it feels different, right? And there isn't a sense of like Luke telling Ray to kill Ben Solo. It's kill Palpatine, which I think is a softer in a weird way. <laughs> and yeah. I, uh, it makes sense, right? Like, of course he's going to say kill Palpatine. But uh, the difference there is that he's telling her to kill her grandfather in the rise of skywalker so that's a i guess tough but it shouldn't be because she has no attachment to that so it's 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 confusing it's confusing but i do like this uh conversation and there's a couple of conversations between luke and ray that i think are are pretty good and i like that and i think it's better than the ones that we got in the rise of skywalker which i find very confusing like so confusing (laughs) 
<laughs> Quick, explain to me Ochi and or Leia's training. Yeah, don't Hurry. get it. Yeah, hurry, do it quick, do it quick. Do it quick, so. you have 10 seconds. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, <laughs> you still can't do it. Yeah, I think that there's something interesting about both. Honestly, like when I think about Colin, JJ, and Chris as writers of episode nine, and you kind of just briefly mentioned this, but they don't, none of these versions of episode nine like push forward this idea of balance or of uh what it means to be redeemed and i think this is something that we talked about for years leading up to episode nine and like that's the next step right to stop the cycle to actually have some kind of effective change on the galaxy you have to stop the cycle that is just endlessly repeating itself so much that like that's Maz's whole speech in the force awakens is I see the same eyes over and over again. Like she's talking about this cycle. JJ's talking about this cycle. Let's stop the cycle. <laughs> Neither of these scripts duel the fates, fates or the rise of Skywalker really do much to stop that cycle to even question. We get some of it here of Ray questioning what it is to be a Jedi. And even when they start talking about attachment <coughs> and her relationship with Poe, we see Luke and Leia and Ray kind of all talk about how she can make her own path and yada, 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 right? So we get a little bit of that rewriting. But when it comes to that like core of what is a Jedi, what is a Sith? I don't like that's where that's where things kind of fall short when we're looking at the bigger picture of what this film is supposed to mean in relation to the entire Skywalker saga. And I think that's kind of emphasized through a conversation like this where Luke is like, yeah, just go uh, kill Kylo. That's what you got to do. And you're like, have we not? Isn't this what you hated Obi-Wan telling you to do? Like, I just, I don't understand, um, especially when it feels, it still feels so strange to me. And we'll talk about this in the next section, but this, <laughs> what I would call a gross misunderstanding of not only our original trilogy characters, but also of Kylo Ren as a character, one that the audience would not care about him living or dying or would want him to see him as a villain, a full-fledged villain. And I know there is a contingent of people who, a large contingent of people, I don't want to understate that, that are totally cool with Kylo being the big bad. Um, but then you don't make him Luke and or Leia and Han's son. That's what I just, I feel like all of these, these two versions of episode nine, it's like, this is Leia and Han's son. If you're not why why don't Luke and Leia appear to have compassion for him anymore? Um, it just it doesn't make sense to me at all. Like I can get why Obi-Wan and even Yoda are like, yeah, kill Vader. I, I can kind of understand that to a certain extent. But when it's Same. your child, your nephew, yeah. it just it the the one when Luke knows that Luke blames himself for that in a lot yeah. of ways, it just it's it very doesn't, personal. Yeah, it just it's the piece that doesn't click for me in Duel of the Fates or The Rise of Skywalker. And I feel like this conversation, while it does have these good moments, like you mentioned about Ray talking about what balance is, does it ever go anywhere outside of this conversation? Is it fully realized in any practical mm. way? I don't really think so. I guess like they talk about her taking on the light and the dark by the yeah. end of the film, but yeah. I don't. 
We'll talk about the end of the film because I think that's – I think you and I would both say that's the weakest part of this script. Uh-huh. Um, everything that happens on Mortis, oddly enough. Like, I don't – I don't really know what that means. <laughs> I don't really know what it means that Ray has taken in the light and the dark. Does that just mean Kylo is dead? Because that's kind of what it seems like it means. It doesn't bring home the theme <laughs> like it thinks it does. What I think is also an interesting tidbit about Duel of the Fates is that they name drop The Last Jedi so many times. So much. So A much. lot. It's very cheeky how they're always calling her The Last Jedi. Multiple people, even like regular civilians are like look it's her the last jedi (laughs) part of me think that's pretty cool though because i like the concept of like the resistance having this underground feel that the word spreads fast it almost reminds me of the hunger games exactly exactly the hunger games exactly like the mockingjay and things like that and i get that because i think that there's one would think that the pressure that she's under and you see she's under in the rise of skywalker like that makes a lot more sense to me if everyone knows who she is not just the pressure that she puts on herself and both those things like go together and then she also has this guy in her head you know and i like that makes sense to me but i uh yeah i i felt that too and she even talks about that pressure too which i thought in jewel the fates which i think is good when she frequently is thinking about the civilians who are around her and what is going to happen if she, you know, pulls out her lightsaber or starts fighting or something like that and what what that could mean. Yeah. And I think that that's like a little bit of a meta moment because of the concept of Rey being our protagonist, our main character, a woman Jedi. Um, in In real life, it's a big deal. So the concept of her being the last Jedi is also a big deal to her in the story. And I think we see this with Luke, but Maybe we don't. I mean, I just said that, but we actually don't really see Luke struggling with the concept of being a hero that much. He just kind of slides into it. Yeah, he's be happy. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's great. Good for Luke. <laughs> I'm into that. <laughs> um, one thing I also really liked about the script is I mentioned before that Leia has a lot of amazing lines, and she really does. But I yeah, really yeah. love how she calls out the Jedi code and the the whole attachment thing. Love it. Of course, it's in reference to her flirting with Poe, <laughs> Ray flirting with Poe. But like, ugh. okay, so Ray is um, a little like she's like, I don't know if I can get into a relationship. Right, basically, that's the whole gist. And she's like, it's because of the Jedi code the rules. The rules, yeah. And Leia goes, written by who? Some old man a thousand years before you were born. Liked that. And then later, um, Luke and Leia are talking about the Jedi Code. And they're having a good conversation. It's another amazing Luke and Leia conversation. And um, Luke says, this is why the Jedi live in isolation. The pain of loss only leads to the dark side. Leia says, I've lost everything and everyone, but I'd still choose to love. It really just illustrates to me how Leia is such a leader and how she's been so resilient through so much and (laughs) that she's not afraid to call out the Jedi Code, which, hallelujah, gotta respect that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I liked both of those lines too. Yeah, it just goes back to like, so did did they ever talk about what it is to be a Jedi now or like why those things were bad? I, Mm -hmm. I guess kind of. I think I just wish I think I just wish that both of these stories had been in a lot of ways much smaller scale um which I don't know if that would have been possible honestly 
Like I, I would have wanted the story to just focus on, all right, like what what does it mean to be a Jedi? Like what let's 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 analyze it. <laughs> let's break it down. Let's have a three part podcast episode about it. Uh from Luke and or from uh Luke, Kylo and Ray and Leia. <laughs> and they're all gonna sit and break it down. And I don't know if that kind of story was possible, but I I am glad that they that Duel of the Fates even bothers to mention it because that's more than Rise of Skywalker was doing. In terms of a smaller scale story, I feel like Jewel of the Fates actually accomplishes that way better than the Rise of Skywalker does with the concept of the war. By by seeing people rise up like in this underground community, this migrant town, and it's very clearly illustrated in the script, I get a much clearer sense of why people would rally against the First Order than I do in the Rise of Skywalker, which felt like pretty random to me it was like wait why are all these people here i guess they're here because of oppression and everything but seeing that on the ground it just sort of reminded me of why george lucas thought it was so important to have um the ewoks versus the empire the concept of uh machine versus like the land and you know the living um i felt like we needed something similar to that. And I think the Duel of the Fates accomplished that better than the Rise of Skywalker did. And it because I, I feel like it was just smaller scale. And I think that also aided, which we already talked about in Finn's whole story and the rebellion of it all, because it became more personal. I think the Rise of Skywalker tried to do that. Maybe there was just a lot of editing that went around the whole Finn and Janna story. And I don't want to like pretend that like that didn't happen because it did, but it just... Um, it didn't hit in the same way that the script for Duel of the Fates hits for me with that concept of the war. It must be so difficult to end a Star Wars movie when everything just gets bigger and bigger and bigger scale. And personally, I think that's why George Lucas went the way he did with the Ewoks versus the Empire in Return of the Jedi. And he knew that even back then. And it's just tough. Yeah. It's it, it's it's weird to witness like JJ and Chris go the way of like, okay, so it's the end. Guess we're going to have the biggest battle ever. When I just feel like that's the wrong choice. It needs to be a smaller battle. It needs to be yeah. smaller scale. And I think this is another reason why the Clone Wars is actually really successful <laughs> in their storytelling because it illustrates how big the Clone Wars was by going from planet to planet yeah, and going into like, yeah, smaller communities to showcase how widespread this terrible war is. Yeah, and I just I feel like with Duel of the Fates, it got closer to that clearly because Colin watched the Clone Wars <laughs> with with Mortis. There's a couple of mentions of Dathomir speeder bikes, the um, Night Sister speeder bikes. Knights, oh yeah, exactly the Night Sister speeder bikes, and then Bendu. I was I was gonna say there's Bendu, but I don't think it's the Bendu. I don't think so either. I'm not really sure, but I was yeah. Like, oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, me too. It's not the Bendu, but it's a reference. So there's an anim- there's like an animation um there's a lot of animation references in the script that feel okay, so that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to grapple onto a lot of different pieces of the saga and I I appreciate that. But again, I just want to I want to underscore that I think showing smaller scale battles with people that we are familiar with that we care about like Finn, Rose and Poe and and Rey. Um, is was the proper way to end the like Star Wars, I guess. Uh, when I just I f- don't know how I felt when the ships all appeared in the Rise of Skywalker. It's just different. 
And I think yeah. the script did better. I also think that the script did better by R2-D2 and C-3PO, um, characters that we don't often talk about on Sky Talkers, but I think they have a lot of good lines. 3PO was really heavily involved in the Rise of Skywalker, um, but there's a better payoff in the Duel of the Fates for the droids that is interesting. Like R2 effectively dies in this script, which is really sad, and I can imagine watching that on screen and being really sad. Um, about it and it seems like a lot of time passes before one can repair him Um, and if you compare that to what happens with C-3PO in The Rise of Skywalker which is his mind gets wiped and then don't worry it comes back like in in a in a conveniently R2 still has his memory (laughs) there's a good moment that they used in the trailer that was really good but the fact is, is that it it just was you didn't even get a chance to mourn because then it was just restored right back and that's how the rise of skywalker is so much there's no chances to mourn and it it felt like there's a real good payoff in fact in the script it says with r2d2 they restore his memory and then he shows a bunch of memories back to leia in a in the form of projection and the script says leia is taken aback by a flood of memories it is catharsis for her and for us I think this is a period of like what we saw sort of with Luke and R2-D2 in The Last Jedi when yeah. R2 shows the Leia hologram to Luke to try to get him to leave the island. Um, and Luke says that was a cheap move because it is a cheap move. <laughs> and I think this would have been a nostalgia like collection. But I do get a sense that I would have liked this better <laughs> because C-3PO had every – like he was he's a storyteller in return of the jedi he's told everything um about the the original trio's like journeys right and i think that there was an opportunity to do that here in the sequel trilogy in some way but it wasn't the opportunity was not taken and i i think it sort of was in this script what do you think Yeah, I did also just want to go back to what you were saying earlier about like the small scale story and just add in the comment too that I agree with you. I think that Duel of the Fates did feel smaller scale overall um, and that being on Coruscant really aided that, like having the bulk of the action taking place on Coruscant, which is a, a larger than life planet, but it's one we're familiar with. It just, I feel like Coruscant works so well to achieve that goal of the smaller scale, but the battle that matters uh, because it's Coruscant and we know Coruscant. We know what it means like strategically for the galaxy. Um, And just to see like a Coruscant realized in live action in 2019 would have been so great. I know. It would have been so good. It would have been so good. good. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because I think that – and then to touch on like R2-D2 and 3BO, I think that the little montage at the end, I think we all would have clowned it pretty hardcore if we had seen this on screen. Um, Probably. But it's (laughs) – One of those hindsight things. Yeah. But it's still – it. I would take it, I guess. <laughs> like the thing about the one the the one with Luke in The Last Jedi, it is a cheap shot, but it it feels so in universe. Um and it works on a storytelling level too, 
the parallel that this hologram is what made Luke leave Tatooine all those years ago. And it's the same hologram that is going to be his call to action once again. Like that parallel is really good from a storytelling standpoint. And you also get the nostalgia factor to it. It's not one or the other. Yeah. <coughs> uh, whereas clearly this moment with R2 and Leia at the very end of the film, a montage of clips is just nostalgia. That's <laughs> true. It's sure. like a, a photo montage, a photo album montage. Like, I don't know. I really can't imagine it. I I guess it would have been cute, but also kind of thank God uh, Tross didn't have a, a montage from R2-D2. <laughs> true, true. Okay, I just want to, like, defend my stance about I think C-3PO and R2-D2 have – they have, like – they're featured in this movie and they they work together. R2-D2 works with Finn and Rose during a lot of this. And I missed R2 a lot in the sequel trilogy. And I just want to say that he has like a starring role in this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yes agreed. And there were yeah. the cute moment. It was it, not cute. It was really um, sad when you think that R2 dies. And, yeah, and was a like, lot of time passes. Yeah, and he's you like, know? I can't leave him. And our uh, Chewie, I think, is the one who grabs the R2's body. Um, and that was really sweet. Yeah, totally. All right, let's talk about how the final planet is called Modesta. <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's also super cheesy. Um in case you're not aware, George Lucas is from a town called Modesto, California. So the final planet is called Modesta, <laughs> the feminine version. <laughs> and oh <my> gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think the ending of the movie, I think we're going to talk about more in the next section, but I prefer this ending to The Rise of Skywalker <laughs> in that Rose and Finn have built a refuge for Force-sensitive kids. Ray has been gone in the ether for a lot of time. And then when she returns, she returns with the promise of training and the next generation of Jedi and passing on what she learned. Of course, this kind of is a little bit of resting with the concept of what has she learned and what does balance even mean. But uh, in the script, it says here she will train a new generation of Jedi and pass on what she learned that only an understanding of the balance within can lead to peace and justice in the galaxy. Again, what's the, what is balance? Did the movie portray that very well? Don't know. But if I were to take this at face value and say that, yeah. yes, we come to a catharsis and understanding a real, you know, pure feeling of like what balance is, uh, then maybe this ending would have been more satisfying than what we got in, the Rise of Skywalker. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, if I'm looking at the endings of like Kylo, Ben have died in each version, right? Then I think this one is much more cathartic for me as a viewer, as an audience member. Um, I like seeing Rose and Finn uh, together, having built this refuge, being and like their whole conversations. Like Pose even about like I'm still gonna keep looking for her and Chewie and Rose and Finn all discussing it too. And like them talking about the legend of Ray kind of throughout, I guess what would be kind of like a little bit of an ending 
montage epilogue sort of thing, I thought was really effective. And like having her come back at this moment after they like tell this story to to the group of kids that are there at this refuge. Yeah, I think it's really effective. I think it's also hopeful too. Like if I, yeah, if I'm looking at both of them as like Ray is by herself and Raylo is inhabiting or Ben has died, this one feels so much hopeful, more hopeful. Like she's coming home to something, to Rose and Finn, to this future uh, of these kids that she's going to train. And I think that, I think it just works way better. Ray being alone, that is so much of what her story was pushing against. She was always looking for connection and looking for family. And I still think that it was such a huge mistake to end the rise of Skywalker with her by herself on Tatooine. The ghosts don't count and neither does does the neighbor. Um, I still think it was a huge mistake. And I think that if they'd even just switch those two scenes of Ray on Tatooine and coming back to the resistance with Poe and Finn, that hug that they all share. I would have been so much better. It would have been so much better. Wouldn't have been great. Would have been a lot better. Fascinating, Caitlin, because even this scene in the concept art is green. It's very opposite of what we saw in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I, I don't understand the choice that was made to have her be alone at the end of The Rise of Skywalker when it's all said and done. And so I like that. We'll talk about the astral plane in the next part, but <laughs> the fact that Ray makes the decision to come back, to be with her family, to be with people, to do something good for the galaxy or to continue doing something good for the galaxy, I think it's just really powerful and that she does get to come home to a family that is actively waiting for her. I think there's something really lovely about that. And yeah, I would pick this ending a hundredfold over the trough ending. If only we could just like smush them all together. That's the thing about That's this. That's so song. weird. It's so weird because, uh, yeah, this feels way more hopeful to me. Um, just the, the promise of like you can always think that that's what she's going to do right after the Rise of Skywalker credits roll but seeing it is different and even just this concept of like Ray having been gone for a really long time and then coming back to the family that she even references before I mean we read that line before about finding her family like she's here and she's gazing off into Not her friends them, yeah. yeah and you, you feel that and so when she's re- reunited with them you don't see that reunification but you get the sense that that is a really happy occasion and it's about to be because you see these children running and everything if you're to go by the concept art which I know changes but the just I don't know it, it would have been great and I like this ending and this is part of like what I think is good about Duel of the Fates yeah yeah I agree all right are we ready to move on to uh part three what's bad and extremely bad <laughs> yes <laughs> let's do it Forewarning, it's about to get heavy. (laughs) Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking about what is bad in Duel of the Fates. So let's start right at the top of my notes, which is... (laughs) <laughs> the fact that Colin Trevorrow just banked so freaking hard on Poe and Ray being a thing. And I don't want to, you know, diminish anyone's love for this apparent couple that could have been, but it's just hilarious to me that he grabbed this from the end of The Last Jedi script and was like, yes, we're running with that. We're doing that. And 
there's a lot of scenes of them together and a kiss is shared and it's just a lot. I don't know. Caitlin, what do you think? It's not my choice. Um, You don't say. (laughs) I think the thing about the Poe Ray relationship in this script is right. Like in the last couple parts, like we were talking, we're like, you know what? Like Ray feels more like herself in this script in a lot of ways than she does in Dross. And a lot of that is her scenes with Poe in a weird way. But the the creation of this like romantic relationship, I, I guess we're supposed to believe that something has happened in this like time gap, almost like a, a Han Leia situation. But it just it just it doesn't feel right for the film. Like it feels it feels so out of left field in a way that Han and Leia didn't in Empire Strikes Back. And I think this is the problem that Duel of the Fates and Tross kind of share is creating relationships kind of out of thin air in the third movie. Um, Whereas like Empire Strikes Back is when we're first introduced to the Han-Leia relationship. So we really have two films of them in a relationship as opposed to, you know, in Duel of the Fates when we just have one film to be introduced to this relationship to the shock value of it and then you know we're suddenly supposed to care about this relationship whereas like even if they had like it it still would have felt odd but like even if you had completely shifted gears and made it like a ray and finn romantic relationship that would make more sense to me (laughs) it it would I would you know there's the whole rose component of it that kind of sucks which still sucks (laughs) um in trust but like I I can connect the dots (laughs) with a a Finn and a Ray relationship and even like Force Awakens I totally buy into the Finn and Ray uh romantic ship but I don't know. It just like you look at like if you're going to put her in a romantic relationship with another man, you look at the men that she's like had contact with throughout the past two films and it's Finn and it's Kylo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't know if you're going to do the Han Leia parallel of time has passed and like things have happened that the audience isn't aware of. The Last Jedi is the film to do that in. And it it wasn't. They just, well, kind of met at the end of The Last Jedi. And yeah, it just, it doesn't work for me. And yeah, I don't want to like ship shame or like pretend that Damn Ray is not a legitimate ship. It absolutely is. And I can, there's a story there, I think, and a, a lot of good uh, fan fiction with Poe and Ray. Um, it's certainly not my ship, but I just don't think it works in this film for a lot of reasons outside of just not liking the ship myself. Um, yeah, I just, you you shoehorn things in in the last chapter and it's never going to get enough time to breathe in a trilogy like this. And the story, whatever it is, is going to suffer for it. I would even say that I I totally agree with you. Um, It feels shoehorned and everything, but there's a lot of scenes of them together in this movie where I sort of wonder, I don't think it would happen, but they do a lot. They show a lot of them hanging out together, piloting together, arguing about the Falcon, but like in a cute way, in a better way than they do in like the Rise yeah. of Skywalker. That I sort of wonder if I'd walk away being like, okay, I see what they were trying to do here, and they showed it, and maybe I'd feel something because there's a, there's stuff in the script that 
is there for that. Um, and I, we'll never know because this movie was never made. But it's interesting because I'm, again, with you. I, it feels random. And it's, it's included in our what we don't like section. And it's because this adds to the fact that, like, I feel like the script, like, woefully misunderstands the Ray and Kylo relationship. And personally, I think that maybe Chris Terrio and JJ did understand it better than Chris, uh, than Colin Trevorrow, which is an interesting to, thing to say, but <laughs> one that I'm going to stand by because <laughs> it. I think that's what happened. And it's just interesting because I feel like The Rise of Skywalker um, has its problems, but the the fact that the movie ends with a redemption, a kiss, uh, a teaming up again, things. these are things that like were laid in place in um, The Last Jedi, and Damari was not laid in place in The Last Jedi, yeah. unless you go by that last scene, which I think is more about Rey um, ha- having more of a, a known name, which I think this script, Duel of the Fates, actually plays into, than, um, than a relationship between Poe and Rey. Yeah, and I think the other thing is too is like you're right. They Poe and Ray spend a ton of time together in this film, which does work to the benefit of exploring that relationship. But it is at the expense of the Ray and Kylo relationship. And again, not even looking at it as a romantic relationship, but you know, if The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi set it up as you know, like Ryan Johnson said, there are two halves of the same protagonist. If that's the kind of thought that we're going into, and even like this film taking us to Mortis and, you know, you take us to Mortis, you're going to, it's asking the audience to draw the parallel between son and daughter and like the, the places that they, or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. The, uh, what they represent as symbols of light and dark and like that balance that the film is kind of trying to talk about, but it doesn't really explore the Ray and Kylo relationship kind of at any level. Um, and for that, Tross does kind of come out the, the, the quote unquote victor when yeah. we're looking at, at these relationships. And like, I think if like the final, the final climax of this film is Ray and Kylo on Mortis and what happens to them there. But the rest of the film, it doesn't, I don't know. There's not that, there's not enough buildup, I think. And that could be in part because we're reading it and not seeing it. And again, this is a draft. This, we have no idea what, what version of the script this, uh, this is that we have, but I feel like, Ray and Kylo just kind of talk about each other. They don't really talk to each other until the very end of the film. And I still think like they're the most interesting part. And what happens to them in in Duel of the Fates has the ramifications for the galaxy at large. And so to not really build that up throughout the film when they're taking time with Poe and Ray, it doesn't like it, it doesn't feel balanced to me, if that makes sense. And I do think that Tross did that better in the sense that we have more of these like force bonds between Ray and Kylo throughout the film where they're actually talking to each other. And we can like debate the merit of all of those conversations and have, but they're there. And the payoff at the end of Exegol, it feels better than the payoff at the end of Duel of the Fates. Like the end of Duel of the Fates 
with what happens between them, it, I read it and I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. How did we get here? Um, because the whole the whole script there, I feel like it's just kind of like, oh, Kylo is this looming like bad guy in Ray's vision in her subconscious or like, a, you know, a force bond, but she's not actively like talking to him. It's not the same as what we see in Trost. And we spend so much time with Poe and Ray is really what I'm trying to, what I'm monologuing here in a bad uh, kind of rant is that, again, we're sacrificing that Ray and Kylo time for this Poe and Ray time for like the first, like 50% of the movie. And that, but then it all comes down to Ray and Kylo. But yeah, and it's it's a weird choice overall. Yeah. It just it it is a misunderstanding of what's the most interesting, I think, for the characters, especially when you put your like you mentioned, your climax between those two characters. Yeah. Let's exactly. talk a little bit more about Kylo Ren and how I think the script is just um really cruel to him and they portray him as super cruel. And I wanna say that sometimes I feel like I uh, let me rephrase that. I just want to say that I think that sometimes we as fans, maybe not all of us, but we underestimate how good of an actor <laughs> Adam Driver was because my guess is that in some of these scripts, like he wasn't as uh, compassionate or I guess compassion is not the right word, but like um, sympathetic. Multidimensional. Multidimensional, sympathetic, then uh, – than the script portrays him as like even in, if I think about the rise of Skywalker and I think about the beginning of the rise of Skywalker and maybe this is just my bias towards the character you know there's that beginning scene of Kylo on Mustafar and everything he is cruel and on the dark side he is a bad guy but he looks similarly to what we saw in The Last Jedi which means I have more sympathy for him in this movie they make him like a pseudo Vader. They like fully go for the Vader vibes by even like destroying his face with scars all over it and then give him a, a helmet that has Welding him, a mask onto him. Yeah, literally welding a mask onto him. So to me, it feels like it feels like what they're they're doing the opposite of what happened with Darth Vader when yeah. by the end of uh the original trilogy you start to see this guy who you saw as like a robot man as an actual man in a in a mask. And what is happening here is the opposite of that, which is sort of similar to what Adam Driver talked about with the, his, um, his arc for Kylo Ren. But at the same time, it's just it, – to me, it's just not what I find interesting about Kylo Ren as a character, as a Skywalker, as, as Leia and Han's son. I just feel like it, it's just cruel. And it's it's also kind of funny because there's a scene in this movie of Kylo at Vader's castle. It's pretty cool. I think that Colin does a good do job describing it. He calls it a forgotten, decrepit cathedral. I like that. And there's also a Sith holocron that Palpatine speaks from. So yeah. when I think about things like Kathleen Kennedy saying, we've wanted to bring Palpatine back for a long time, I think it was in a different way than this, than what we saw in The Rise of Skywalker. But it was always, I guess Palpatine was always going to be in this in some small way. And it's funny because there's a holocron, Sith holocron that works for me. And just to go back to what we were talking about before about how um, clearly Colin watched Rebels and the Clone Wars, clearly he did. Because it's interesting because then again, talking about how JJ and Chris went in a completely different direction, maybe that's where the Wayfinder did start, but they were like, we can't do a Sith holocron. And there's so many things in this script to me that I think about with 
uh, with regards to Kylo Ren's journey that feel similar to what we see in The Rise of Skywalker, but are just done really differently. Yeah, it, it feels so markedly different. And I, I think I said this in the earlier part, but Kylo just feels like such a caricature of an evil villain. It's almost like with Palpatine in Trost. I'm like, what is Palpatine's plan, right? Like he changes his plan kind of every scene, it seems like, or his end goal. And with Kylo throughout Duel of the Fates, I'm kind of like, what is your end goal here? Is it is it just revenge? I don't even think it's revenge. I think it's just power, which is so boring for such an interesting character, right? Like Kylo yeah. was never written like Hux. Kylo was never written like Snoke. Um, he was never even written like Palpatine. He was written like Anakin and like Vader. And so again, in the ninth film to kind of switch it to him suddenly being just power hungry, both of these scripts, you know, Tross and Jewel of the Fates, it just really makes me wonder like what the conversations were about this character. And I think that this is something you and I have talked about with Tross a lot is like and like the seeking, I guess, like closure from it. Um, is just that it just feels like there's such a misunderstanding between how some of those creators interpreted the character and how we interpreted the character. And I feel that from Duel of the Fates too. And we were talking about this earlier and have talked about this for years, but it's like, if you're not going to have him be sympathetic, don't make him Leia and Han's son and don't make them say, we love him. We miss him. We want him to come home and don't do all of those things and don't, don't give him sad puppy dog eyes. Don't make him be Adam Driver if that's not the route you're going to go. Um, if the route is, you know, some people are evil and can't be saved, I, you can do that. It doesn't feel super Star Wars to me, but you can do that. But then also don't make him lay in hot and sun. You know, it just – it still doesn't make sense to me. And I still want Colin Trevorrow, Chris Terrio to, to walk me through the explanation of – how you get to this kind of character because when you get to his arc in in Duel of the Fates it just it does feel so out of left field and just like I said just boring like if you take him it's like I, I know the connection people make right it's from the end of The Last Jedi and him saying you know taking on the role of uh supreme leader uh and people are like, there you go. That's the reason. That's like he's money hungry, or power hungry. That's what he wants, right? We heard that discussion a lot after The Last Jedi came out. But still, it's just, okay, <laughs> I guess I've seen that before. And it just, it feels, it feels just really boring. And, and similar to what I was saying earlier, if you're going to have what happens to Kylo be the difference like have this galactic force, cosmic force change. Like Sun had a better end than that, you know? Like Sun was written in the way he was evil. He was evil through and through. But he loved his sister more than anything and showed love for her in the end and sorrow over her death. And Kylo doesn't get that treatment really in Duel of the Fates. Um, I'd say he gets it – He obviously he gets it more in Trost because he actually achieves redemption. And I guess he technically does in Duel of the Fates. But his whole arc through Duel of the Fates is just so one note uh, for someone when you have an actor of Adam Driver's caliber and you've already given him this very nuanced, uh, multifaceted 
uh, characterization throughout the other two films. Um, it just it comes off as very one note for him to just be like, I want the power. Yeah. And that's it. It completely drops a lot of his insecurities yeah. that we learn in The Last Jedi. All the stuff about not being alone is sort of dropped and it's weird. Um, I think that a smart thing that The Rise of Skywalker did was introduce force healing. I've I've stood by this forever. I feel like it it makes a lot of sense because it's compassion-based. I think that the actually the opposite of that happens in the script and that's why I find this practice of reading it very interesting because there's so many things that are like clear opposites but Kylo being able to suck the living force out of another person is literally the opposite of force healing and I think force healing works way better because then there's this personal connection between it versus I'm just sucking out random power it's I'm healing you I'm healing your soul I'm healing your physicality um we are together because you have to like physically place a hand on yes it is sacrificial and i think that that was a good choice because it does show a connection between them um in a way that's not so antagonistic in fact it is the opposite of that so i find it really interesting and just to like sort of go ahead towards ray and kylo's relationship which i think we've been talking about a lot but just to put a cap on it I think it's really strange that Colin made Kylo be the one to kill Ray's parents. It is so weird. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me um, why he would do that. I don't even know if it works for the age differences between them. It is very clear that Colin saw absolutely zero chemistry between Ray and Kylo. And part of me kind of understands that because The Force Awakens. I know some people saw chemistry in The Force Awakens, but I've never been shy in to say that it really wasn't until The Last Jedi to me that I saw that sort of chemistry. Um, I know Caitlin feels a little differently, but I think that when you're writing this in 2016, The Last Jedi is not out. You don't see Adam Driver's and Daisy Ridley's performances together. Maybe you just don't run with it. But I, I do find this to be a hang-up. And I think it's just crazy that they went with this decision. There's so many... Personally, I think the better decision for what happened to Ray's parents was Ray accidentally killed them as they were trying to escape the planet. Like, I think that would have been the best situation, but because uh, I think it would show uh, a, uh, like a sort of a dark side, something that needs to be resolved within Ray, um, and like why she wants to forget that so much. But instead, it's Kylo killing Ray's parents, and like, why? It's so weird. It feels so cheap. When he's 10 years old. Yeah, what the heck? I guess, I guess he would have been older. He's, yeah, he's older. Know, it's just 16, so weird. 17. Like, 17. I just, it's, no. It's and so it's just strange. so funny because then the Rise of Skywalker and like the ancillary material with like the Rise of Kylo Ren comic and everything goes the absolute complete opposite direction of Kylo didn't do that at all. He actually didn't kill anyone in the Jedi Temple. Like that's still a mystery. You know, it's, it's kind of funny to me how they really course corrected this entire concept. Yeah. Uh, and then they were like, no, we're just going to use Palpatine. It's all from Palpatine. It has nothing to do with Kylo. Kylo didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. The thing that uh, I still don't understand about either Joel the Fates or Trost is this insistence that suddenly Kylo is a Sith and that that's like what he cares about are the Sith and power. Because do you remember like in Force Awakens, there was such – like strong marketing to be like he's not a Sith and I remember like Pablo tweeting this a lot like reminder he's not a Sith 
Yeah. And then suddenly <laughs> he becomes a Sith or like wants to be a Sith. I don't it's know. It's so it, weird. It doesn't make sense. It's so but... strange. And it yeah. it just goes back to the larger conversation that I keep harping on of like what was the end goal? Like what were they trying to say by the end of this trilogy, by the end of this saga? Because it gets lost. And I think that Tross and Duel of the Fates kind of attempt to tackle it. Like we've talked about them talking about the the concept of balance in Duel of the Fates, which is a good conversation. And I'm trying to think of what Tross does. I guess just discussing what it is. Well, it just centers Ray. Yeah, um, as there's a Jedi. No, the, the concept of balance isn't really a thing, which is a shame because it really does feel like that was a thread that came all the way through yeah. um, the entire sequel trilogy. But instead, it centers Ray, which is fine because the movie is about Ray and Ray is our main protagonist. But it's just, it didn't deliver for me. It delivered for some people, but it just didn't deliver for me in the way that I don't think this would have delivered for me either for Duel of the Fates. No. So. It's just so hard to end things. I I just can't stress it enough. <laughs> it, it is super hard. But again, it's like Duel of the Fates is almost there, right? They, you, they bring them to Mortis. And like the whole point of Mortis was that it is not just the Jedi. And, and we even have that thread from the last Jedi with Luke saying, you know, to think that the light ends with the Jedi is vanity. And, you know, you're like, oh, my God, yes, like this is it. That's that's what we've been that's what the galaxy needs is to understand that it is not just Jedi and Sith. It is so much bigger than that. And the Disney push had been, or like things created under Disney had been, you know, leading to that. Everything with The Last Jedi, we have all the things that came from Rebels. We have the um, the Guardian of the Wills in Rogue One. Like this, se- this seems like all the pieces falling into place for something like that. And then to bring it to Mortis where it quote unquote began and is such like an uh, original George concept. You're like, yeah, okay, great. And then it all comes down to them being Jedi and Sith once again. And it's like, wait, what? Didn't We've already rehashed all of this what it like what is the next step forward and i think that's what we had always speculated is the next step forward is understanding that you are not just light side or dark side that you are both and i think that they say that ray has like kind of taken in the dark side too by the end of duel the fates but she's still a a jedi so does she have a new understanding of jedi like what does that really mean? And I think that it's it is difficult to end things, and I don't envy Colin or Chris or JJ these jobs. But I do. It does make me wish that there had been a clearer goal from the beginning, uh, because while I thought there was, it doesn't appear like there was. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how Kylo's last words are. Ray's name or last name, which is Solana. Solana is such a strange last name to me because it's literally Solo and Organa put together. And I feel like that's a really weird choice for them to go with. And once again, I feel like we can't ever escape Ray just being her own person. It's not that she isn't because I think that this is a new name. It's not actually Solo and Organa put together in the galaxy. It's her name. But And I do like that there was an emphasis in this movie about names and how important they are and how they they make someone or like build them up with confidence like you see that with Finn and the stormtroopers mm. i love that but it feels i just think it's kind of funny <laughs> personally <laughs> that the name is uh Ray Solana like she's still a Ray nobody like she's not a palpatine or anything which is good in my book but 
yeah. the choice of name is just so strange to me. It's very odd. I remember our huge thing before going into Tross was we talked about the importance of names and how, like for us, our the trio we saw was Finn, Ray, and Kylo, right? And like each film was about them uncovering a piece of their identity and belonging. In Force Awakens, Finn gets his name, and I think that is carried. That storyline is carried really well in Duel of the Fates. Um, in The Last Jedi, Rey discovers that she doesn't need a name. And then, you know, episode nine, we were like, this is when Kylo chooses his name to be Ben or something else. But then uh, it's like, no, here's here's the last name for you, Rey. It just, it, it, you said it. It's just like, Rey is just not allowed to be herself. Like, she can't. She's not allowed to be okay with that as a character. And then subsequently in the real world, it's like saying she has to be she has to be somebody, even though yeah. it was so powerful when Ryan's whole thing of I just watched the director in the Jedi the other week, uh, at, on the last Jedi anniversary, but it was so powerful him talking about the writing process. And he said, you know, I wrote every character on a list and I thought about what would be the hardest thing for them to uh, go through in this film. And for Ray, the easiest thing is for her to have a place in the story. And so she's not going to get that. Like the easiest thing would be to say like, here's your people, here's where you belong. And the hardest thing is for her to not have that and have to stand on her own two feet. And it just, it still makes me so sad that that was taken away from her character. And it's not, it's certainly not, to the extent that Tross is in Duel of the Fates by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it's like, God, just let her be Ray. Like that can be, that is good enough. And yeah, it, it is just, it's also just kind of funny. Like it's like Modesta. It's, it's just like Modesta. It's, it's Modesta, just funny. but for Ray and the last yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because Modesta was in like the things I like thing because I think it's like cheeky and funny and it's never happened. So it's fine. But Solana, I feel like as the last words, it's to me like thematically doesn't really work. And also I just have a lot of questions <laughs> about why they chose that name. I think I, I get it because if Ray's going to be Ray of Light, like it makes sense to me that Ray, her last name would reflect that sort of like Solana, Sol, like it makes sense. <laughs> but I still think it sounds really similar to Solo and Organa, Leia's last names. So it's very strange to me. I don't know. It's it's just the whole script for me just makes me feel so weird. I just I have said it before and I'll say it again. I just really don't know what to think after reading it. Um, it feels like a fever dream in this weird way of like this is what could have been, and I would have liked some of it, but I probably would have walked away being really unhappy. Yeah. And that's a weird feeling too because that's the trust feeling. Yeah, <laughs> it like is. It is. But then this script makes me like appreciate things that we gotten. The Rise of Skywalker. And I'm like, yeah. that makes me happy. <laughs> so it's very weird. <laughs> the feelings that I get from reading this, I am like, oh, actually, I like the choices that were ironed out when they fired Colin Trevorrow and hired Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams. Yeah. And it, it, again, it makes me think about the conversations, about the why the firing, why not firing. I shouldn't say that because they said that it was an, like an amicable split. But I have to wonder what disagreements they had because in like what he was so stuck to that yeah. they wouldn't budge on or Disney or someone wouldn't 
budge on as well and what was the crossroads there it's it's so interesting to me i would love to know someday someday when we get that sequel trilogy history book it is going to be the best book ever even if it only shares like five percent of (laughs) what happens you know what i'm thinking now i'm thinking you know our anniversary is coming up right and we have sky talkers updated sky talkers dinner party right oh my god what if oh my god we bring college oh my god (laughs) Get him crazy. A, get him a little tipsy. <laughs> and, and tell us everything. <laughs> and hear the story. I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> no, all right. You can bring him. Maybe I'll bring him too. Hmm. Uh, it could be really interesting. I yeah. do. We haven't talked about this, and I feel like it's important. Um, you know, you mentioned this uh, earlier in the episode, but that Duel of the Fates can get kind of violent sometimes. And we have not brought up that Ray is blinded and cries Tries blood. blood. The crying uh, blood, I am like, I can't. It's so it well. Okay, it's talking about Colin watching watching Rebels. This is it's like the exact same scene of what happens to Kanan um, mm. in season two of of Rebels. Like it's so kind true. of it's almost too on the nose. But I do I do kind of like like it. It feels so gory, but also like whoa. Like you know, we talk about that at like Exegol being a bit of a horror film with Palpatine. This. Jewel of the Fates. <laughs> so takes, violent. Takes it up a couple notches. But I do think it's kind of cool how she ends up with the scar on her face. I do think that is kind of a cool parallel to Kylo, actually. But yeah, the blinding and the tears of blood. And then Kylo, it happens to Kylo too, right? Like they switch, basically. It's so visceral and I can see it. And I'm just like, he went there. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's super I, intense. In two episode nines, we have movies that are pretty violent. I would say I think The Rise of Skywalker is weirdly gory. There's weird close-ups on wounds and things that need to be healed that just feel they're alarming to me. I remember seeing them first in the in the theater. And then this one I feel like has I think you're right. Like it is kind of badass, the whole concept of crying blood. <laughs> but I it is like, wow, they have the the lightsaber guillotine. They have force yeah. sucking the life out of someone to the point where, like, it they dramatically changes away. your appearance. Yeah, you wither away, which it makes sense to me, actually. Like, it's very fairy tale, actually. Yeah, I feel like we would have walked away with that same understanding that we did with the Rise of Skywalker. Of man, that movie was like weirdly violent compared to other Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah. I know we're in the Star Wars, but you know, I I never seen no one crying tears of blood before in my right. Star Wars. Yeah, we have had like a casual blood sacrifice in Star Wars before. It's not to say that that violence isn't (laughs) a big part of Star Wars because it is. And like you could debate that if you wanted. But uh, sometimes I think about like the wounds in The Rise of Skywalker and I get a little skeeved out. (laughs) So, Well, remember when they just like drop Bulio's head on a table, like a conference room? Yeah, that was sad. And I liked Bulio. This is a pro Bulio. Yeah, that was crazy. I just think to me, I, I think the like the two wounds that I think about, I'm like, this is a lot as someone who's very squeamish about blood, this, uh, the snake's wound and then also Kylo's wound, which is just very really gory. Up. So close. Very close. And I, I do stand by what I said earlier about I think I prefer force healing. I think it was a good, good move. But the camera work... Um, was a lot. <laughs> we, we didn't have to be so zoomed in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about real fast the uh, the astral plane of it all uh, in Duel of the Fates. You know, if you guys listen to our Tross speculation, I 
speculated about the astral plane <laughs> so many times. And it sort I was, of made sense. It made it sense. It did. It did make sense. <laughs> and, and okay, in my defense, I was like, there's going to be something world between worlds-esque. But it's not going to be the world between worlds, right? Because I, I think the world between worlds, you never see it the same way twice. And like Kylo and Rey wouldn't see it the same way that Ezra and Ahsoka saw it in Rebels. And so I think the way that I could talk about it was to be like, they go to the astral play. <laughs> and the fact that like Colin is like, yes, Rey does go to the astral play. The astral plane. Yeah. And when, <laughs> when she Specifically died. the astral plane. I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Harry Potter when yeah. Harry dies and then goes to what you could call the astral plane. It's like an old – not an old. Train it's a brand station. new train station. Yeah. yeah. And then he makes the choice to live or die, which is exactly what happens with Ray here. I think it could have been really cool, to be honest, based off of uh, the concept that I think Star Wars has been tugging on but never fully defining about how to become a Force ghost and what happens in the afterlife. And I think that there, there was a chance in this movie – I don't think it was fully in the script, but – there was a chance in this movie to kind of push that a little bit more, and that would have been really cool. But what do you think about the scene that we got here? I, I agree with you. I do think that it would have been – I would have loved to see this conceptualized for Star Wars, honestly, like on the big screen. And I think you're right. Like if it – you know, what's the greater goal here? Like what is the sequel trilogy saying about the Force? Like if that had been – more clear as a goal overall for the trilogy to have ended it in something like this where Ray is so powerful or maybe like, you know, Ray and Ben are so powerful together that they can traverse between the cosmic and the living force uh, to make a choice like this. I think that would have fit in really well, actually. It would have been so cool. It would have been really cool. And I, I do think the idea of Ray coming here to make a choice, I think is really, I think it is kind of powerful and like that she makes the choice to come back. And we've already talked about how we think the ending of Duel of the Fates works a lot better than the ending of Tross. And so I think that this plays in nicely to the end of what is written in Duel of the Fates. Overall, though, it's weird though, because she is by herself. And this is another thing that I think about uh, Duel of the Fates is even though, you know, a huge chunk of it takes place on Coruscant, this uh, this whole film is very much like original trilogy nostalgia. And the fact that like we don't have an Anakin Force ghost here, but we have Yoda, Obi-Wan, and Luke. It's like, come on. Re- I don't really? I, don't, I really don't understand the like allergies to including Anakin as a force ghost. It's so weird to me. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so strange. And like even with um, R2's little montage that he plays on the screen uh, after he gets his memory back, it's all original trilogy. Last I checked, he did not get his memory erased from the prequel trilogy, from the second right. trilogy. Right. That's the thing that really bugs me because Caesar Bio did, but R2 yeah. did not. And they're very specific about that in the movie. It's just, it, it's so, like I like I said, I'm really glad that Duel of the Fates was like, yeah, let's make it on Coruscant. But they're like, that's enough prequel trilogy for today. <laughs> and it, again, like, what is the end goal here? There's no conversation about what happened to Anakin, to Vader. Like, we see Kylo doing this whole spiel with, you know, with at Vader's castle, but there's no discussion of like what happened there was that Anakin lost his mind in pursuit of his love for his wife and that that was his downfall. And 
that conversation is not brought up at all. And it's just, it's crazy to me that that trust and duel of the fates just have such an aversion to including the prequels. It just, it's weird. I will say another, another strange defense by me of the rise of Skywalker, the inclusion to have been save Ray from dying makes a lot of sense. Even though if it's not overt, like, you're not Ben doesn't say yeah. grandfather I am finishing what you started you know there's yeah. no there's none of that cheese but it's a it's known right and I think yeah. that that I applaud that because I think it was a really good choice and it makes a lot of good parallels to what Anakin couldn't do that drove him insane and yeah. here we have Ben not doing that at all and it's it's really interesting and yeah. again with my defense of force healing <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. The The parallel is there between uh, Anakin and Padme and Rey and Kylo uh, through the Force healing and yeah. Ben finishing when Anakin started. But it just it would have been so great if there had been that conversation when we're talking about cycles being broken, understanding what actually led Anakin down this path that had such implications for their whole family and everything that happened. And Ben finally taking charge of the narrative of his life. Um, he does get that agency in a lot of ways in trust, just from the fact that he does sacrifice himself for Ray in the end. And yeah, I'm very much pro-trust that 100%. But it's just, it's crazy to me that like, I just, I want to be a fly on the wall to hear these conversations. To be like, is, is anyone bringing up Revenge of the Sith in these, in these story meetings? Anyone? Bueller. Yeah. So Literally, because it's interesting because I think so many people talk about like honoring George Lucas, those movies were such a big George Lucas fan. And George was so adamant to go back and tell the rest of the story of Anakin Skywalker with the prequels. I feel like it's it's fascinating to me that there's like zero Anakin in the sequel trilogy, like at all. And yeah. I or Padme or anything. I know we're years and years away from it, but those were the last movies that were in theaters when these movies came out and just really surprises me. And it'll never not surprise me, to be honest, about uh, how they did that. And uh, the other side of it is that I recognize and understand wanting to start anew, but there has, there is something underneath to me that sees that they don't want to reference that at all. But Um, they don't start anew when it's, all yeah. of the original trilogy. That's like, that's the thing. thing. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Like, if it's going to yeah. be brand new, then you push it, you know, a hundred years in the future yeah. and yeah. go from there. And that's, you know, that's that's a choice and that is brand new and good. But if you don't do that, you make it lay on Han's son and then give him sympathy, take it away. Give him sympathy, take it away. Make him evil. It's just – it's clunky and – are we any better as a galaxy at understanding yeah. what the force is? Like, do we have, like, has there been a paradigm shift of what the force is? Because there was, like, there was the initial paradigm shift, right, when the original trilogy came out of this, like, whole galaxy and stuff like that. And then when you have the prequel trilogy, it was a paradigm shift of, like, this was a very structured, bureaucratic uh, organization that has lost their way. And then there was also the the paradigm shift of Anakin fell because of love and it wasn't some power grab. It, it became that, right? But 
that's not the origin story of Darth Vader. It's a personal story of love. And so what is this new thing that we've learned about the Force or the Jedi or the Skywalkers by the end of the sequel trilogy? I also want to just kind of walk back a little bit about what I said about how the sequel trilogy isn't referenced. I mean, the that the prequel trilogy isn't referenced at all. I want to give a little bit of props to Ryan Johnson when Luke is explaining things to Rey about the Jedi and he uses the words like Darth Sidious. Those are very prequel rooted. And I think that in a lot of ways, The Last Jedi reflects so much of the prequels, even just visually, because Ryan talks about that about watching the prequels every single night, you know, and oh, having yeah. those yeah. images come into his head and things like that. So I, I still stand by what I said about how I'm, it's surprising to me that there's not a lot of prequel-ish references in the sequels, but I just wanted to give a little bit of credence to it's, it's Some are there. They're just not very overt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you're tying the beginning to the end, if we're looking yeah. at this as a chronological story, that is, you know, the prequels are the beginning. Right, exactly. There is that line, just to kind of shift gears, there is that line after Ben dies, right, when it's directed from Ray and it says, with a look that could be perceived as love, Ben Solo could be dies. Perceived as love. I cannot. This, this reminds me of the conversation. You remember how in Tross, Finn is always like, I got to tell Ray something. It's but there's no understanding there's, about what that there's is. There's no payoff. And then yeah. there was that interview with Chris Terrio afterwards where he was like, is he telling her he's force sensitive or that he's in love with her? I don't know. You can decide. <laughs> it's like, can you please just commit? Because we don't know what to think here. This, okay. this line reminds me of that whole thing of like, is it love? I don't know. It could be, I guess. But it's probably not romantic love. But maybe if you want to interpret it that way. Can't you sort of visualize if Duel of the Fates was the movie that we got and we were still in the Raylo fandom and the script ever came out and that line was included that we'd like eat ourselves up over that line? It would be like, I would, I would, I would, as Ben Solo did, I too would die. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, um, it's, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a funny one. I don't even know who is talking about who, like what look are we talking about? Who is right. giving the look? Because Ray is just like. Yeah, I guess it's almost similar to the look Ray gives him at the end of Tross as he fades away. And she's like, well, well you, that's okay. that. <laughs> More like the movie just cuts off and the next next thing we know, she's in a ship. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so abrupt. <laughs> I imagine it would kind of be like that blank face stare, though. <laughs> right. But could, I guess it, it could, could be perceived as love. As love. You <laughs> could perceive it as love <laughs> if uh, you wanted to. Right. All right. Well, on that note, I think I think maybe we're done with Duel of the Fates. <laughs> Overall, how do you feel about Duel of the Fates, Charlotte? I feel weird. I said it before. I feel yeah. weird. The whole thing is very weird. It's a good exercise. I recommend reading it because it's just strange. But yeah. I the concept art is beautiful. The fact that this exists is great. But the whole thing makes me feel very weird. It's yeah, it's just it's super it's so strange. Cannot underscore how strange it is to have this. And I really am going to be thinking long and hard about inviting Colin Trevorrow to my Sky Talkers dinner. January is the time, so. Right. I Yeah. Let me know what you guys think. Let me know if, you, if I should give Colin Trevorrow a seat at dinner. <laughs> Does he deserve a seat at the table? Hmm. <laughs> 
I've had a gossip led uh, dinner before a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think I think actually in 2020, uh, after Tross came out, I ha- I was like, you know what? I just want some tea. Might be another one of those years. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, very meandering conversation. Uh, again, very odd that we recorded this on the day that Tross, the Tross anniversary did not plan that, but is also oddly fitting in an alternate universe. This could be our, you know, spoiler duel of the fates discussion, uh, immediate reaction. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let us know what you guys think of duel of the fates. Does it feel as weird to you guys as it does to us? Cause it is super weird. If you want to, you can find us online on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our uh, Instagram, our TikTok, and our Facebook, or you can always email us too. And if you haven't left us yet a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify, Spotify just released uh, ratings for podcasts on their platform. So if you are listening to us on Spotify right now, or even if you don't, and you want to go and leave us a rating on Spotify, that we would we would love that. Please do that. We would really appreciate it. And if you are interested in other ways to support the show, you could head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Catherine, Ashley, Rad, Lindsay, Lola, Froppy, Kat, Lauren, Levi, Patricia, Sophie, Logan, Colin, Molly, and Aaron. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.